In this episode, we will be using BattleBards sound effects. Check them out, battlebards.com. And if you're signing up for a Prime account, be sure to use our code STACK to get a discount. Twisting Shadow, Rising Light. In the twisting streets of Karavi, a breeze whispers insistently, beguilingly, sharing news of the rolling sea. It is enough for us to incline our ears to listen, but as we do, we notice with increasing intensity that there is a darker undercurrent, a pull that entwines us and lifts us against our will into the sky. The embrace of the air has never been so unwelcome, but we are caught and pulled westward. The current bears the prickling scent of fading spices, but any pleasantness there is spoiled by a deeper, earthier smell that undercuts it. We sail helplessly over the sparkling sea, westward to the cold mountains we have visited like this twice before, somewhere in the heart of southern Moraga. Any doubts we might have had as to the source of this summons are dispelled as we are swallowed by the gaping mouth of a cave. We have entered the hidden places covered by the shadow of Rebek. Our movement slows, 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 until we settle onto the floor of the cave with a quiet rasp. The sobbing wind outside fades as we shake off the cold of this high place, and we wonder what to do, why we are here, when from deeper within we detect a long drawn out hiss, followed by the sound of scuffling that scrapes bone on stone somewhere in the dark. A low purple glow teases the edges of our vision and we make our way in, although against our will. As we go, we notice with increasing frequency that there are curious marks on the tunnel's walls in a script we cannot recognize. Some of the letters are straight and picked out in silver tracing, but in between these anchors, letters writhe and twist as though alive. Were we in our physical forms right now, we would feel illness creeping over us at the presence of the sheer power leaking from them. As it is, we feel dizzy in their presence, but push past them as we continue down the passage. At last we emerge into a chamber we visited once long before, a place of burial discovered and consecrated by an ancient people long since forgotten. Dust-cloaked sarcophagi stand at the edges of the room circle. The engraved likenesses on their covers show impassive faces that look with hard eyes toward the center of the chamber. At the entrance to the room, we stop, feeling more dizziness as the source of the purple light becomes apparent. Here, Rebek sits cross-legged on the floor, head bowed low over a bundle of dusty rags. From them comes the same scent of spices, burial spices, that we detected when we were first taken from Karavi. Even under the meager cover of his ragged clothing, the state of his body is apparent. Sunken yellow skin is stretched over withered musculature, and the angular joints protest at the tightness of the covering by pushing alarmingly outward. Rebek creaks as he shifts to bow his head lower over the bundle. His scratching voice whispers a low chant that echoes faintly in the room, and a silver cord of tendrilled energy shimmers between his head and the bundle. We dare not breathe. Dare not stir. 
as the figure sits like this for an age, the silver light glistening in the dark drawing glare of the purple gloom. But then there is a flash and the link winks out of sight. The purple glow persists a moment longer, then begins to fade slowly, seeping into the stone of the room. Rebeck's head raises slightly, and the taut features of his face wrinkle into a smile. He breathes deeply, and we notice that his contours seem more rounded, restored. With a word, he rises into the air, still cross-legged. He lifts to standing height and unfolds his legs, one, two, still floating slightly above the dust-strewn floor of the chamber. He drifts to a small cavity in the wall and gently places the bundle, patting it reverently. His eyes glow with the last traces of silvery-purple light flashing in the dimness. Then he turns to face in our direction. With another hiss and a terrifying contortion of his face, he rushes directly at us. We dive to the sides, but realize that we are at the mouth of the tunnel that leads outward from this place, and Rebek slides by us, heading for the cleansing rush of the moaning wind outside. We would prefer to take a moment to recover our senses from the frightful brush, but we are yanked backwards to follow him out. In the pale light of the day, the cold mountain air slaps us hard and we struggle to turn about to face the direction we're being pulled. As soon as Rebek's form streaks out, giant bat wings unfurl and he streams eastward and northward with speed. He flies with unnatural haste, faster than any bird might manage. One hour, two, three, and then with a dive he plunges downward. We see now his destination, the dark line of his army of the dead that stretches south to north. The vanguard continues to tread down the tall grass of the open plains as it pushes southward with inexorable force. The dark gash of the moving army continues to move with minimal sound. In its wake, only a few fallen bodies, no longer able to maintain the rigors of the march, have fallen. But none of the host note their absence. They only close the gaps and press on without concern. More will fill the places of the missing soon enough. Rebek spots where Peter sits astride his rotting mount and coasts in with outspread wings to land gently on the ground near him. Peter seems to have sensed Rebek's approach and slides out of the saddle to bow stiffly. You have done well, my son, says Rebek. You have not lost time. What news? Peter informs him of recent activity. The Reaver's forces are probing in their direction, but so far have not been able to return to report to their Dark Master. You have done well indeed. His eyes burn brighter and a tight grin splits his face. Together we will finish this march and repay him for his treachery. Soon enough. Soon enough. Rebek and Peter stand side by side, watching the dead creak by in their silent files. Their pace seems to have increased with Rebek's presence. Satisfied, the dead thing rises back into the air with a shout. And suddenly we are free. Whether it was Rebek's attention being diverted by the army now, or something else, we are grateful for the release, and we savor the freshness of the air now that the choking smell of spice is no longer surrounding us. We dive and stretch, exulting in the feel of freedom for a moment. 
but it doesn't take as long to realize we have been drifting steadily northward. It takes the piercing shriek of an alarmed hawk circling nearby for us to realize that we are no longer where we were. Our revels seem to have taken us unexpectedly north. The dark line of the army has long since vanished, and we approach another range of mountains that again look familiar. This, this is Vondhide. And that, that's the dwarven first home of Windhold. The tidy streets and sturdy buildings look just as dwarvish as always, with everything just so. We settle gently to the ground at the gated entrance to the small city, wondering yet again why we might be here. We are tempted to strain upward, thinking we must have drifted from where we wished to be, but emotion in the recesses of the gate draw our attention. Two figures step out and into the sun-soaked warmth of the day. One, shorter, teary-eyed, pushes something into the hands of the taller and then impulsively hugs him around the waist. The tall man pulls at our memory, and then we realize with a start, this is Inderil. He looks older somehow, though not unhealthy. It has been some time since we last saw him, but he stands taller, and the tiredness that seemed to hang from him is gone, vanquished by a period of prolonged rest. Inderil says something to the dwarf, a woman, and they converse quietly. She dabs furiously at some tears, but Enderil smiles gently and draws her in for a hug. They stand like this for a long moment. Then he steps back, bows, and smiles once more. The woman nods, smiles also, and bows low. Enderil turns, his green stone on the silver chain glinting in the sunlight, and walks along a trail that bends northward to follow the course of the mountains. We flow on behind him, borne along on the breeze that carries the smells of rich earth and growing grasses. He pulls at the thing in his hand, a loaf of bread it seems, and chews as he walks. When the last piece disappears, he comes to a stop to rid his hands of any clinging crumbs. That done, he lifts his face to the sun, smiling broadly at the feeling of warmth and the stirring of the fresh air that ruffles his white hair. Then he glances behind him, calculating the distance he has come. Seeing that no one is watching, he nods, crouches slightly, and then begins to change shape. Fur sprouts from him, his spine elongates, and great iron-colored antlers spring from his head as his face elongates into the features of the great stag. The stone remains visible on its silver chain, and it now glimmers and clinks at the throat of the stag. He gives a little leap to test his mobility, then turns and moves on steady feet northward toward the blue distant border of Rindis, as we once again lift into the air and return to the wave-washed shores of Karavi.